Welcome to the Deerland Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bowley. We're here at Bowley Farms this evening. I've got the one and the only Tyler Sellens. How are you, Tyler? I'm doing well, Mike. Doing well. What what episode are we on here? You know, I don't know. We're going to get into that here in just a second. All right. So we're, we're going to do a little bit of behind the scenes. I think in TV they call it uh, tearing down the third wall or something like that, you All know. Right. So here we are on this uh, windy and blustery evening. And Tyler and I decided to get together and uh, have a little chat. So we've got some, we got a couple podcasts uh, in the bank, I guess we'd call it, um, that uh, you may have heard by now. So when I come to trying to figure out what number is this going to be, it was hard to come up with because I don't know exactly in what order we're going to be releasing these things in. So I'm not trying to be all sneaky or clever or any of that stuff. I mean, hey, this is what it is. I mean, we record what we can when we can, and we try to have some sort of some sort of rhythm to it, some sort of strategy behind it. But, um, you know, sometimes it just uh, it is what it is. We just sit here and uh, record something. That's like right now tonight. We don't know what we're going to talk about. We've been sitting here on my couch for an hour trying to figure out what we want to talk about, going down rabbit holes that have absolutely nothing to do with podcasting, uh, just life in general and all sorts of things uh, that probably would have made a made a good podcast if we were like on the Dr. Phil show or something, um, but uh, not necessarily the Deerland podcast. So, uh, so, yeah, so that's why I decided to skip the episode number this time. Um, you know, we've got a lot of stuff that's going to be coming down the pike. Um, habitat management, food plots, turkey birds, um, a little bit of traveling for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, all this stuff is coming up. Um, here recently, the weather has just been atrocious. Uh, we just had shed rally, which was, uh, an epic failure around here. Um, more like a monsoon. Yeah, Saturday. My I had field view said I had about an inch and a half of rain, but I was talking to some folks down in Warsaw, which is twelve miles from here, not even that, ten miles from here, and they had upwards three inches of rain, um, and it come down hard and it come down fast. Uh, I think someone said we still have about eighteen inches of frost in the ground. Uh, is there that much frost? That's I just heard that yesterday. Yeah, so. Um, the water has nowhere to go, so it's, you know, flooded, and, you know, the top three or four inches is just mucky, nasty uh, mess. That's why the uh, river crest is going to be, uh, like, 19 feet, 19 feet. Well, over that, and actually, I just heard today that they don't expect the final crest until mid-April, um, and it might get big. So, even at 19-something, that's major flooding. Um, that's starting to shut highways down and stuff like that, so... Uh, I know some uh, ESDA groups have already started talking a little bit about um, sandbag situations and stuff like that. So I don't know if we'll get to uh, a 93 or an 08 type of level, but uh, that river, she's going to be a big one. Uh, there's no way around it. A lot of a lot of snowpack up north yet, I think, that uh, has <clears> to make <throat> its way down here. So I've got a few riverfront properties if uh, anybody's looking for some. Yeah, they'll uh, they'll be clean, that's for sure. Um, you know, and, and with those riverfront properties, they're so darn intriguing. Um, I looked at one yesterday, and I was at, I'm, as I'm looking through it with a guy, I'm kind of like, man, this would be kind of neat to have. And 
you know, I mean, they, they're, they're, the nature of the beast is the river, but I mean, you either, uh, love it or hate it. I think, you know, I mean, it's, it, uh, it is what it is. And I, I kind of like them. I, I mean, they are intriguing. I will say that much of just some in multi-use enjoyment properties of it's not just deer hunting, you know, if you're a waterfowl guy or deer hunter or boater or fisherman or camping or, I mean. Even the potential for some turkeys. I mean, you know, um, I know a, a couple different properties that, uh, you know, as long as the water is not there, I mean, or even if there's just some some high pockets in it, I mean, th- those birds will get in there and roost. Um, so I, I I don't mind the, the river ground, but. Man, it's just it, it's always nice knowing that you know what this October first, I want to go to this property and this is what I want to do with it. And sometimes with river ground, you just can't guarantee that. Well, there's no guarantee, but we, I mean, you've grown up around the river as have I, but you know historically by we'll call it first of July, typically the river's normal. Yeah, you know I've seen years where there's no flooding. Oh, or very, very, very minor flooding happens. Other years, there's major flooding, but I, I mean, there. Uh, I will say the good thing about a lot of river properties um, is timber production. Oh, without a doubt. You know, you talk about some fertile soils. I mean, just a lot of yeah. a lot of silver. You know, it's not your your walnuts and that Hardwood. sort of thing. But I know I've talked to some uh, forestry guys, and they're kind of like, well, I'd rather own a river property than I would a hardwood timber because you're gonna get a harvest every. 10 or so years based on on what you're doing for management and stuff but they're uh they're uh definitely some good pieces so yeah and overall i mean your your highest your highest risk of flood is obviously going to be late spring um i would say mid-april through late june that's typically when most of your flooding is going to occur um I know we had one in 2007 that was late August. It got really big. Um, last year in October it got big. But um, overall the river is going to get big in mid-April to late June. And then it'll it'll drop off. And that's the hope anyways. So yeah. anyways, I don't even know how we really got onto that. I mean um, – Like we're talking about the river. Yeah, so I mean all just rain. all the rain that's that's been coming – um, once again, I mean, it's kind of like deja vu for us. Um, a year ago, we were trying to do some uh, habitat management here at my place. Been wanting to do some prescribed fire. Um, we really think they could uh, help me out around here in the long term. The weather never cooperated, and here we are so far um, this year in 2019, and still no cooperation from the weather. Getting close, but about the time it, it's going to be good to go, you're going to be headed south to hunt turkey birds. So you told me earlier you're just going to light a match and throw it out there and go to the bar. And you know, there's days that I, yeah, I just think you know what, <laughs> let her burn. Uh, fire department can send me the bill when they're done, and and we'll deal with it from there. But um, I mean, I'm really excited. That's the thing. I mean, you know, a little nervous, apprehensive, but I think we got enough of a, a plan. You know, we'll take enough precautions, do it when the conditions are right that I really do think the benefits could be outstanding. And uh, as I've said on the podcast before, there are some local, you know, biologists and stuff that are not firm believers in uh, controlled burning, but I, I really am. I haven't done it myself, but I've, I've seen enough of it done and seen the benefits that it can bring along. Um, 
I'm willing to try it. You know, um, it's I just don't think it's going to have a negative impact at all. So to me, it can only improve things. Um, but uh, I think it'll help on uh, some multiflora control. I know you don't have a lot of that. Louis no, does, but I've got a little bit. But even some of your younger honeysuckle, I think, will help. Um, you know, control some of that stuff as well. But there's a there's a time and a place for it. And I don't think it's a bad thing either. But Oh, and I just we're, I we're think not doing the, all of it. We're doing sections of it. That, yeah, I mean, we're going to try to focus on a particular area. You know, there's a kind of like my midsection, I guess, a, around that that um, that big ridge. You know, the the creek the creek bottom, uh, all the way around that that section is what I would like to try to get done first. But uh, but we'll see. I mean, we're we're not going to rush the issue. If if it doesn't work out this year, it doesn't work out. But it just takes, you know, get a good week of 60s sun, a little bit of wind, and, you know, that stuff will dry out. It'll at least dry out enough where you can get a, a fire going and um, sustain one. So, you know, and, and I guess speaking along that is we did have the shed rally, and I did make it out that weekend a little bit, um, not a bunch, didn't find anything. Um, I didn't uh, find much to speak of the entire shed season, to be honest with you. But I, I, I kind of had one goal in mind. And, you know, these last couple of years, I've noticed um, target bucks that, you know, each year a, a new one, the last two years, uh, there's been a different deer, but seem to be bedding in a particular area based off of um, observations from the field, trail cameras, um, coming and going at a certain area, certain times of the day, you know, going back in the mornings, coming out in the evenings that really led me to believe that um, they were they've got to be bedded in there somewhere. You know, at least there's a, a good bed that there's a, a decent buck. You know, uh, that old one-eyed eight was there last year. And I just – I was set up on him wrong, and, and he, he winded me one night, Halloween night actually, and just was gone. Um, had seen him a bunch all year, knew where he was coming from. I just boogered that up. Took a different approach this year. That's where the mule deer buck was was coming and going from. Had him pattern from that location and was able to harvest him. So I'm curious to see if maybe another one will move in this fall. So what I decided to do when I was out there shed hunting is to focus a little bit more on that area. And I've been trying to learn a little bit more about locating buck bedding. Um, I mean, obviously it's easy to find deer beds, doe beds in particular. I mean, there's usually a group of them in all different ways, shapes, and sizes. Uh, but the buck beds can be a touch harder. Uh, the hunting public guys have been doing a great job of finding, locating, and then, you know, targeting those bedding areas uh, on some of their videos. And I just watched one the other day. Uh, they were down in Missouri doing um, like a seminar on a farm. And it, it just it made it all make sense that, you know, they're going in there and they're seeing these beds and then they're trying to figure out, all right, you know, how's the, is it a buck bed or a doe bed? And uh, usually, I mean, sometimes the size, they're a little bit bigger. But also, you know, you find that bed and, you know, you might find two or three in a vicinity. Um, but that's probably the same deer using it on different wind directions. You know, he's going to move a little bit depending on what the wind is. But they were saying also, you're going to see a lot of buck sign. You're going to see a lot of buck rubs. He's going to rub up his area. So you find a few beds and you look around and, you know, you can stay in one spot, see five, six, seven, eight different rubs. Uh, and then maybe you find one that was a year or two old, something along those lines, uh, you're probably onto something right there. Well, I've had this one area that, uh, that I worked on a little bit last year uh, in February, kind of cleaning it up. 
um, was going to hunt it and then realized I was going to be too on top of the deer. But I think I had even made an Instagram post about all of the rubs that I seen from this one spot. I mean, there had to be six, eight, nine, ten, some monster rubs in there. And that's kind of the general area where these deer were coming and going. So when I went in there to shed hunting, shed hunting, I paid a little bit more attention and I actually found, um, you know, a couple beds in there with some rubs. So it's not far off the field, which is what's kind of odd. I mean, you're only talking 30, 40, 50, 60 yards off the, the field edge in there. But, uh, you know, there's a big, there's a big drop off, um, so you got a couple different ways of getting out of Dodge. Uh, there's a decent trail system in there. I think with the wind, they can play the wind really well. They can have a good vantage point. It makes perfect sense to to be buck betting. And so I'm going to approach it this year the same way that I did last year, keep an eye on the area with trail cameras, see if I can pattern a, a deer coming and going uh, from that direction, and then uh, you know maybe set up on him. I'm not going to get in tight – some of these guys are, you know, getting in real tight on them and hoping to not booger them up. Uh, of course, a lot of times they're hunting public land as well. With me being private, I want to do everything I can to encourage, you know, a mature deer to continue to bet on my farm on a regular basis. So um, that's the the main place I was able to find buck bedding. You know, I don't know where these deer are at in the winter. Finding some of the sheds from the mature deer has not been easy. Um haven't heard of many in this whole section, I guess, being found. I think they hide them. I really do. <sighs> I think they could dig little holes or something. Something. <laughs> because I have had such a hard time finding mature antlers that have shed. Um, either that or the squirrels are just getting into it. I guess, but I'm not buying that either. I mean, I, I went out somewhat early, I guess. Um, and I guess uh, it ain't like I was walking 20 or 30 miles, but... You know, these areas where these deer have to be or I believe them to be, I'm hitting the trails and trying to find some bedding areas and the food sources, and they're just not there. I mean, I think I found five or six antlers this year, nothing over two and a half years old. Um, just a bad year. Of course, it was the best year I've had shed hunting on my farm. Also, the first year that I had food, you know, as well. So. And not that it's a huge deal. You always hope you can, you know, find a, a shed off one that you're hoping to target, you know, the following year, you know, in the next couple of years. But uh, it did give me a reason to, to get out and do some walking. And, and I'm, I'm kind of like an ADD guy out there. It's hard for me to focus on shed hunting. I start getting distracted by trails and rubs and old scrapes and stuff oh, like that. Oh, look, a bird. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, oh, a squirrel, you know. Um, but uh, it, it does feel good to get out and uh, do a little walking. I mean, I had some areas that I hadn't been in since uh, turkey season, uh, turkey season, mushroom season, uh, an area that I used to try to hunt that was hard that I've kind of just stayed away from. Um, you know, it's a south-facing slope that uh, I think, you know, they will use for some bedding. Um, they're bedded not far off the field there with the winds. I mean, they could come in any direction and I, I tried hunting it unsuccessfully. So this year I just kind of stayed out of it. Um, and I hadn't been through there at all. So it was kind of nice just kind of walk through and see anything had changed. I had a couple tree limbs that had fallen down and stuff like that. But, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a good sign of spring, you know, now that the weather's finally breaking, I think it was up in the fifties this morning and the, the bottom's falling out of it as the day goes on. But. I walked out this morning to Spencer to school and it was Nice and warm. And then I had some office work there this morning I was doing. 
I think I went out to went to the post office or something there about lunch, and I walked outside. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute here. we got to get some more clothes back on. Things change, it's that's that, for sure. It's that time of the year. It's March, so it's to be expected. And, and uh, you know, when I was pulling up here tonight, there was uh, some turkeys across the road. And as I'm driving by, I look over, and I happen to see that old, you know, recognizable white head, a little long beard out there in the field. And he was about half strut and just kind of acted like he was going to go into strut, but wasn't real, real sure what was going on. But Yeah, and I had ran into – well, you and I went to supper uh, last Friday night, I guess it was. Um and ran into one of my neighbors, and he was telling me that uh, he'd seen uh, some turkeys out in the field and uh, had a gobbler that was popping strut. Wasn't holding it real long, but, you know, was kind of out and about popping strut. And I think uh, when Kirby was back with the three of us, we were out together, and there was a bunch of turkeys out there, and probably 30 turkeys and seven or eight longbeards still kind of running together. Um, so it's getting close, though, man. I mean, Yeah, I mean, right now we're we're just right at 30 days from – from uh, opening day of turkey season here in Illinois, yeah, and Missouri, so I mean it's uh I'm looking forward to it. Things are gonna things are gonna change fast. They typically do. Though last year though, I do remember first season, uh, I had my my long johns and my Carhartt coat snowing. And you I, know, I mean I'm I'm digging through trying to find warm clothes. It was not typical and stuff. So. Well, I remember turkey camp at your dad's. I mean, you know, it was freezing cold. I mean, guys in Carhartts and you know just bundled yeah. up it was it was brutal last year um and then again this year i mean i we're not in uh we're not in danger of having an early green up that's for sure um i wouldn't think so i mean uh, things it could always change things i can guess change but, fast i mean um, i'm waiting on my uh my triticale and uh some of the stuff i interceded in my staining beans into the summer last year to start greening up some of that clover start greening up a little bit um because right now everything's dead. I've just looked at my yard, you know, earlier today, and it's like, man, oh man, this is dead, dead. I mean, there's just no sign of, of green anywhere. Um, but normally, you know, we'll get we'll get a week or so of 50, 60 degree days. It seems in January, February, and we just haven't had it. Um, it got cold and it stayed cold. It was winter. Winter was true to its name this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, with clover, you know, the 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 weather's changing fast. Um, by the time this episode airs, the, the days or the possibility of frost eating are going to be gone. Um, I was looking at the forecast. I think we've got three to four more mornings left below freezing, uh, in the extended forecast. So tomorrow morning, I'm going to get out before work and, uh, go frost seed some clover. I've got some spots that I missed last year. Um, and then some spots that just need a little bit extra, but I'm going to go ahead and take the rest of my Imperial Whitetail Clover seed and uh, just spread it all out. And I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I don't want to get too deep into, you know, food plot stuff because we'll use that on another another episode. But um, every year, or at least every other year, I'm going to top seed my clover plots. And my reasoning behind that is is to hope you can darn near keep them in perpetuity. I mean, if you can keep the the clover established enough, keep a good stand of it to outcompete the weeds and the grasses. You know, I fertilize every single year uh, according to what soil tests call for. I probably won't soil test every year, probably do every other year as well, um, but I will fertilize every year. I don't see why a guy couldn't have, you know, clover in the same spot for a long time. Um, so that's going to be kind of my plan. This just, you know, it kind of got away from me. I know you and Louie did some uh, frost seeding 
week, 10 days ago. Uh, I held off just for the fact that we had that monsoon coming and I knew it and I didn't want to take a chance of, you know, putting out 50 or $60 worth of seed and then having it, you know, washed down to uh, the creek bottom. So I thought, well, I'll just wait a little extra. Um, but then it seems like we're going to go from freezing cold to, you know, warm, true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, good, good, solid, uh, late spring weather instead of, you know, we, we just don't have the, it's almost like we don't have the seasons quite like we used to of the gradual temperatures coming up. It's like, it's cold and it's hot and it's back to cold and it's hot. I mean, there's a little bit of it, but well, and it seems when you do, it's kind of more extremes. I mean, it's either super hot or super cold or, you know, to just to have that, uh, that month in the spring and that month in the fall, Woo. that, uh, that is kind of like a, um, perfect weather, you know, I mean, you know, you're just beautiful springtime and your beautiful fall to get four weeks of that in a row or something. It just doesn't seem to happen. It's either blistering hot or freezing cold, uh, with some goofy weather, you know, mixed into that. So, uh, I don't know. I, I'm no climate expert, but, um, you know, it's probably cyclical. I know that, uh, El Nino and La Nina have a lot to do with precipitation and stuff. We're definitely not hurting for precipitation. You know, we'd been through a drought there for a few years. I have to believe that the soil moisture is at a very um, high level at this point. There should be no issues uh, for a lack of soil moisture to, to do any planting. So um, I went by the other day, or just today actually, and seen some neighbors had – some of the combines pulled out some of their other, you know, tractors and stuff out and, you know, kind of getting close to shuffling some equipment around and getting stuff ready and time to get the planter out and yep. go through it, check it out, see what needs fixed or not fixed or get things ready. That way when it's uh when it's planting time, you're ready to roll. So. And I'm kind of that about ready to do that with my stuff. Uh, my tractor, you know, go through and just make sure everything's lubed up and got fresh grease in it and take all the implements and, Make sure they're greased up and check all your fluids and um, just kind of get everything ready to go. I've been kind of waiting on a, you know, just a nice day, you know, where you feel like getting out and doing that type of thing. And, um, you know, about time to get the mower, mower out and make sure that uh, it's ready to go for the year. And I usually try to make sure most of that stuff is somewhat ready to go at the end of the year. Um, but uh, sometimes I'll, I'll wait till spring just to go over it once more and, um I'm just ready. I mean, it was a it was a long winter. Um, it didn't feel like a very productive winter. Um, even with me hunting, I mean, obviously, uh, I shot my first buck November third. Shot my second one December tenth or eleventh. December tenth, I think. So you know, even then, my my hunting was pretty well wrapped up after uh, after second gun season. Um, so I had a whole lot of just doing nothing these last three months of. The weather wasn't good to get out and, you know, do any chainsaw work or anything like that. It was, you know, foot of snow or 25 below zero or, um, so it just felt like, you know, these last few months I've got nothing accomplished and, uh, the warmer weather and the sunshine, we just had daylight savings time, you know, so the days are going to be getting longer. That helps get off work. You feel like you can still actually get something accomplished of an evening. So, um, the end is in sight. Um, it's only what? Six, uh, six months to go, six and a half months till, uh, bow season opens again. You know, you know, I haven't even, haven't even, uh, looked at that just, uh, 
I guess I haven't counted. Like I should say, I know when it's coming. But yeah, I mean, just, you know, you get to April first, you're you're halfway home, so um, it'll happen in a hurry. And then you know, with the the way spring goes, is you know, once uh, once you start hearing birds gobble, um, we're gonna be chasing them uh, through essentially through most of the five seasons. Um, between you know the tags that you have and that I have, and I think what Louie has, um, and then some of our you know hunting crew, I guess, would be, you know, first season through fifth season in Illinois. I mean, uh, there's not going to be many gaps in there where we're probably not going to be out trying to uh, chase turkeys. Um, so once turkey season starts, it seems like that can go by in a blink mm-hmm. where you don't get a whole lot of other stuff done. I know that, you know, some people try to multitask and, you know, hunt turkeys all day and then do other things and, you know, repeat the process. But, not me. Usually after about three days of getting up at five in the morning. and It wears on you. It does. You, yeah, I mean, it's that first day or two, you get up, go hard, turkey hunt, go fish, look for mushrooms, sit around the campfire, roost birds right back at it the next day. And by day two or day three, you're uh, – Four, five, six. I mean, when I, when I killed that bird last year, it was day six. Um, and I had spent the whole week before – uh, you know, roosting birds in the evening and, and waking up also to try to hear some on the roost, you know, those last few days leading up to the season. So, you know, it was it was so nice to, to get that bird killed because I was just beat. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I watched guys like Dave Owens there on the Penhody Project, and, you know, that dude just goes like an animal. I mean, uh, driving forever, you know, sleeping very little, hunting, working all day. I just – this little boy ain't cut out for it. I mean, it uh, it wears on you. I start going delusional. Um, so – but it, I'm still excited that it's coming. But my point was, once it hits, I mean, that's our, that's our focus and through the end of it. And then, you know, you get into mid-May, and then, uh, you know, it's time to be putting beans in if you're doing bean plots and um, – get into June, you might have to do a, you know, a little bit of maintenance to your clover, you know, some of these other things. And, you know, you're right into food plot season and, you know, getting into the summer and next thing you know, it's time to, uh, you know, put stands up or, you know, scout new locations or um, cut some shooting lanes or whatever you want to do. And then velvet scouting and, you know, all of those things. Next thing you know, it's September and it's time to really start uh, getting dialed in. And in the meantime, you're always hoping to shoot your bow a little bit. You're giving me anxiety just talking about it. Oh, no. It. I mean, it, it's it's just unbelievable. I mean, uh, some people say, you know, well, I get depressed, you know, and the season ends. But, you know, we say a lot of times, I mean, the season doesn't end. It's a year round. And, you know, when I guess when you're doing some of these operations like we seem to find ourselves in um, where you're doing food plots and land management and land improvement and um, hunting turkeys and, and deer and squirrels and uh, stuff like that. I mean, it it really is. You have some downtime where, you know, there's not as much going on or the weather doesn't cooperate, but you're always not far away from something else that's going to have to get done. And um, I enjoy that part of it as, as much as, you know, I may complain about it every now and again. Um, I do enjoy it. I mean, it's it's part of the reason why I decided to, to jump into this like I have, just to always have something to do, something to work on. Um, you know, using the land that, that you bought. That's something I repeat all the time is I want to find as many uses uh, of this land that I that I can, get as much out of it as I can um, for myself, you know, for the benefit of, of uh, the wildlife and everything else. So um, 
I don't want people to think it's a poor me type thing. I got myself in it, but it is. When you stop and look at it, it's like, oh, man, you know, we got uh, got a lot of stuff going to be going on here. So talking about shooting bows, I bought a new release. I bought that Keaton release from Spot Hog. Um, oh, I don't know. It's probably been a month ago now, and I haven't even shot it yet. The weather has just not been good. Did you take it out of the package? I did take it out okay. of the package, Yeah. <laughs> No, I what you know what. Speaking of which, what I did is I bought a couple of these, uh, like toolboxes. They're Dewalt toolboxes, and on the bottom it's just kind of open, and then on the top it's got this like a separate uh, box you can separate from it, and it's designed to hold like cordless drills, batteries, bits, and all that stuff. Um, but what I'm using it for is you know hunting, shooting, bow supply stuff like that. I mean, you got ammo in one, and all my cleaning stuff. Um, and then, you know, my extra broadheads and releases and just everything, just instead of having stuff kind of scattered here and there, I've got these two boxes that I've got everything in. Um, so I'll have one that's kind of like shooting and then one that's like firearm shooting and cleaning and stuff. And another one that's kind of more hunting type related. So I can just go right to it and grab what I need, um, and go, but I've been wanting to shoot this release. I mean, I, I haven't even pulled the bow back with it yet. Um, I'm hoping maybe this weekend the, the weather's looking better. Uh, tonight would have been decent, but the wind's blowing about 65 miles an hour. Um, so I wouldn't have learned much. And, you know, there's a lot of these guys that'll shoot in their house, you know, just shoot like, you know, 30 feet, 10 yards or something. And I'm a pretty good shot. I mean, I'm, I'm no, uh, um, rod white or anything, you know, I'm not going to be an Olympic archer anytime soon, but I'm pretty decent. I could just see just throwing one and right right through the wall, you know. I mean, right in the middle of that seventy inch TV. Yeah, that'd be a bad deal. I I was reading a story on somebody that did that you know, on a forum or something, um, and he just so happened to hit a water line when he missed on his and went through the wall and hit a water I, line. I when I was a kid growing up, Dad, uh, we had a little like a little room off the side, had reloading stuff in there, and and uh, had a little like a BB trap. Yeah, had a table set up, and and I literally shot here to your TV. I mean, what, 20, ten feet, twelve feet. Well, it's far. I mean, it was. Yeah, I I don't. It wasn't that far, but I think I'd sat down there for hours just shooting BBs, just pump BB gun up, sit down, shoot one, stand up, reload it, shoot, and I did that. I still remember doing that as a kid. It was fun, but I mean, there was nothing I could, I could hit. I I think Dad probably limited me to you know, a couple pumps. It wasn't yeah. like I could pump it 10 times and really bang one down. Well, there. I bought Riker that, that Daisy for Christmas and we haven't got to shoot it much. It's out in the garage. We took it out a couple of times, but again, this winter just been brutal and you know, he's only three. He's going to be four here in a couple months. Um, so I don't quite trust him yet to have him shooting in the house. Um, I could just see him deciding to take, uh, one of these Ryan Kirby art pieces that I have on the wall and, put one right behind the shoulder or something so it would make a nice target yeah yeah and uh so we haven't uh we haven't moved it to the inside yet but again that's something else i'm waiting on the weather to break for is to get him out and get him doing some shooting uh with the bb gun and um you know every night he's he's coming down and saying hey dad can we watch turkey hunting he's wanting to watch turkey hunting videos and i've been uh letting him beat around on the old lynch foolproof box call a little bit we keep right here on the on the couch and um, he's taken a love to it so far, so hopefully keep that passion going. I know he's got some cabin fever as well. He's wanting to get out and um, roam around and play in the dirt and um, stuff. So what else we got going on? Um, uh, 
this might be a short podcast. Yeah, you know, I mean, I we, we were talking before we started, like, I don't know what we're going to talk about. Just see where it goes. But we're, uh, I, I, and I don't want to sound redundant. And again, you know, we, we might show this or play this in a couple weeks, or I'm not exactly sure when this one's going to going to post. But um, we've got a lot of different plans to talk about different things. We've got some stuff uh, already recorded that you may or may not have heard by now. Um, so I don't want to sound like we're just saying the same things every episode, but, uh, you know, right now, this time of year, this particular moment, the things at the top of our mind are habitat, you know, whether it be doing, I, I wanted to do some honeysuckle control, try some of that. I didn't I'm still trying to find some guy with a fecon head on a skid steer, maybe to take care of some stuff. Are you? Yeah. Really? I, I know a guy with you the know, skid steer. Know I know a guy with the skid steer. He just, I don't think he's got one of those fecon heads yet. So, you know, that hasn't got done yet, but that's still on my mind. Um, food plots, uh, you know, I got a hold of my guy at the co-op and told him to uh, work up some fertilizer mixtures for me for the, the clover and the beans, and that'll be coming. And then, uh, like I said earlier, frost seeding, um, turkey hunting, um, about time to – Throw a target out there and make sure that the old uh, turkey gun's still shooting true. Um, make sure that uh, turkey vest is packed and ready to go. I actually got it pulled out. I think it's ready to go. I lost a striker. I don't know where that went. I And I could have lost it hunting last year, and I just forgot that I lost it. What, what's a striker? Yeah, you know, that little uh, wooden thing that you you hit on the oh, little round yeah. thing gotcha, and it makes noises. Gotcha, yeah. yeah. You ever it's, done a mouth call? You know, I did. I did. I, actually, I've got a few. I bought some. You... I think maybe you turned me on to some a couple years ago. Um, told me this guy, I go buy this variety pack or something, try it. And I did. And I can make noise. And so, you know, I bet I've watched a thousand videos and read up a bunch of articles about using diaphragm calls. And they say, if you can make a noise, you can do it. That's the number one thing. Well, I've never had a problem making a noise. But making a turkey noise has been a little more difficult than what one would like. And, you know, and I know that I can go out there. I've got a push-pull pin, a push pull pin call um, that, I, that I take with me that I've had great luck with. I've got this lunch box call. Um, I can do a little bit on a, on a slate call. Um, not a ton, but I can do enough. Between all of the calls, I can pretty much cover all of the, the range, the vocal range that I think I need to to be somewhat successful in, in hunting turkeys. However, I have told myself that you can't, I can't consider myself a real turkey hunter until I can figure out a way to make realistic sounds with a diaphragm call. What I heard the other day reminded me of – boy, I don't even know what it reminded me well, of. Well, I'm telling you. Like a sick duck or something. I, I mean – I can do some <laughs> amazing crow calling with a diaphragm turkey call. I mean – you know, and I guess that's my heritage is, you know, used to be a diehard crow hunter. So everything, maybe my mind just reverts back to that cadence and whatnot. Um, but I did, I, I bought another, uh, another call. It was a Primos dome or something like that. It's got like a built-in dome on top of the diaphragm that is supposed to help you get it, get it positioned in the correct spot. Uh, it's a triple reed back cut. They make a double reed that they say is a little bit easier um, it takes a little bit less pressure, air pressure to get through it. Um, so I'm getting there. I just haven't found that sweet spot where I get it in there and I start going and it's like the aha moment. Like, all right, that's it. That's what I need to try to reproduce. I had a couple times where it gets close or, you know, where, man, I, that's getting there. 
And I don't know if it's just uh, needs more just repetition. Just sit there and just keep messing with it, messing with it, messing with it. Some um, of it's finding a call that you like too. That's what I've noticed. I get I get a few calls and throw in and make them sound great, and then you throw one. It's kind of like, eh, and, and some of that's just the reads too. So well, and I think at, at first, I mean, my main objective is just to get something that can reproduce the sound of the eastern turkey. And once I can get there, I mean, I, I'm not going to get all fancy and stuff like that, but I think even with these basic calls, if you could just get, you know, a basic Yelp cluck, I was purring a little bit, and that's probably of these other calls that I have of the, the slate call, the box call, and this push-pull call, the purrs on those are the hardest, I would think, to, you know, to continually reproduce, um, you know, to watch your volume or whatnot. But I was able to do some decent purrs, what I thought were decent purrs anyways. Um, but uh, what I would really like to do with a diaphragm call is to cut, to be able to cut on a diaphragm call. I can do it all right on the box call, but it gets a little slamming, you know, a, a little popping too much. My Yelps are fantastic on there. Um, I can do a little bit of cutting, um, but even to, I guess to do some, just some clucking, you know, you know, when they're getting in close, just to, when you can't use your hands, it'd be nice to be able to have, uh, the ability to, to pop a couple, you know, clucks off. So I don't know. I'm not in a big hurry. I mean, it's, I killed a turkey on my own last year. Um, might've been a fluke. I don't know. I guess we'll see how often I'm out by myself this year. Um, <laughs> see if I can reproduce any of the results that I encountered uh, and even the year before I was by myself I had three opportunities I missed all three times I mean uh, they weren't the best opportunities but I was getting close um, so I feel that I can still be successful without the diaphragm call and I you don't have to run a diaphragm call to be a turkey hunter don't don't get me wrong there the problem that I have is I just happen to associate myself with like diehard turkey hunters that are really good at what they do um, and that includes calling on a, a, a mouth call or a diaphragm and I feel like, yeah, you know, I need to at least be able to produce something. You know, I'm I'm never gonna get to like Grand National champion. Colony. I was gonna ask if that was that was a aspirations of not at all, not at all. You know, I I don't ever I don't ever set out to like be the absolute best at anything. I mean, I I'm just fine with being a jack of all trade, master of none. You know, uh, being proficient, work hard, be proficient at what I do. I don't have to be better than everybody else at what I do. So we'll take the same thing with uh, the diaphragm call. And, you know, maybe it, it gets to the point where this is probably the, the third or fourth spring that I've piddled around with it. The problem is I always wait till about March before I start messing with it. Um, I'm heading to, headed to Florida on next Wednesday. And that's typically about the day I pop a mouth call in to yeah. see if I remember how to do it. Well, you got plenty of time on, on the road, I guess, to, to mess yeah. with it. Of course – I guess the, if you got a if you got a truckload of people, they probably don't want you blasting away on, nah, just two of us. on a mouth call. Make so. three or four little calls and call it be good. ready to go. So, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so yeah, so again, that's that's kind of the turkey tangent for today. And again, I'll apologize. This this podcast is just kind of all over the place. I mean, we're not really s focusing on one individual thing. Uh, we just wanted to you know get something recorded and. And get something out there. Um, hope everybody enjoyed it. Yeah, you know, and I hope everyone else is getting as excited about uh, the springtime as we are with turkey hunting and food plots and uh, mushroom hunting. Don't want to forget that. I mean, 
I love uh, love some good old mushrooms. So, uh, got some plans to maybe uh, cook up some turkey here coming up, and you know maybe that's something we need to throw onto some of these episodes too, with some recipe ideas or um, something along those along those lines as well. So, we'll uh, we'll be in touch here um, throughout this spring. Like I said, we've got uh, several topics and uh, show ideas lined up. You know through. Uh, beginning of summer essentially um, between food plots and land management and turkey hunting and all that good stuff so stick with us and again we hope you enjoyed it uh please like comment subscribe share us you know tell everybody about this uh fine podcast that we're trying to produce for you Um, it's slow goings for now as far as getting the word out but uh, i do believe that you know eventually we'll have a body of work out here that uh, people will enjoy uh, listening to and Uh, We'll look forward to hearing from us uh, on a regular basis. So uh, we're going to keep trying to give you that content uh, as best we can. So until then, we'll see you next time.